0: Hi everyone, welcome to HubShot's episode 164. In this episode, we talk about buyer journeys, using HubSpot workflows to set contact owners, how to find out what ads a company is running on Instagram, and what it means to be the head of marketing. You're listening to Asia Pacific's number one HubSpot-focused podcast, where we discuss HubSpot tips, tricks, and features for growing your sales, marketing, and service results. We hope you enjoy the podcast as much as HubSpot's CEO, Brian Halligan, does. Thanks for creating this podcast. It's awesome. I listen to it on the weekends and I really enjoy it. My name is Ian Jacob from Search and Be Found. And with me is Craig Bailey from Zen Systems. How are you, Craig? Oh, really good. And you know, a uh, new financial
1: year here in Australia. This, uh, That's We're right. recording this on the 4th of July. Which is
0: Independence Day. Oh, it is. Yes. Uh, so, to our American listeners. You know what? I was in America. Bit of a side note. I was in Hawaii last Independence Day. And I absolutely loved it. I kind of wish I was in Hawaii again, looking at the radar. Don't we all? <laughs> anyway, Craig, on to our Inbound Thought of the Week. And we're going to look at David C. Baker. Talks about gating content and do we need to rethink our approach?
1: Now, we both love David C. Baker. He's like a consultant's consultant in a way. Yes. Uh, I think we have both read his book. I loved his book. He's a wonderful blog and he writes about, well, I think thoughtful marketing. And he's got a post talking about rethinking gating content. And this isn't a new topic. And as he says in the post, he's been thinking about this for years, this idea of what should we gate? Well, a few things, really. What should we gate? What should we gate it with? You know, how many fields? And then more importantly, how do we actually use that data? Because he rightly points out so many of these forms, they ask for so much data that people never use. And so I don't want to position his post as being prescriptive. It's really just thought provoking. So think about this. And he makes a few points. In fact, eight key points that he says, and maybe we'll quickly jump through. Yeah, let's go through it. Yeah. So the first one he says is only gate content late in the funnel. And maybe we'll just mention the points and then I'm going to pull out two that I want to expand further on but in the blog post go and read it where he explains it out but number one only gate content late in the funnel
0: yep number two is quit disappointing prospects with content that is not gate worthy
1: number three your cta should only request information that you will actually use
0: number four be careful with pillar articles if they are merely disingenuous attempts to gate things number five never ask for a phone
1: number and i'm going to come back to this one Number six, trust the process. Trust Google. Quit operating from a scarcity viewpoint. Number seven, have a privacy statement if you want, but don't pretend that it'll reassure anyone. And finally, number eight, make it easy to sign up for your stuff. (laughs) That's a good way way to close And he fleshes out each of these and he gives good thoughtful arguments around them. But the one, never ask for a phone number. I thought this was an interesting one to think about, depending on the business and the industry you're in. Yes. Because as well, many of our clients, B2B, phone number is mandatory. They must ask for a phone number because their sales team jump on that and, you know, hand people to death calling them. The comment I was going to make, though, is include a phone number if you want to use it as a qualifier, because it's actually a good way to stop people filling out forms and filling your list with junk people just downloading things and never having no intent. So I actually think a phone number can be a good thing, but use it wisely. Mm. But as he says, why use it if you're never actually going to call them? That's just annoying and scary.
0: And I think you found this, thinking back to the previous episode where we talked about some lead ads you were running and asking for a phone number in the lead ad and what that did to your conversion and what that did to people's behavior, essentially. So I think it's a really good point. Coming back to his point one,
1: only gate content late in the funnel, I'd actually apply that to phone numbers. Should be putting a phone number at top of the funnel? Probably not. Possibly. Probably not. But, yeah, later in the funnel, it's very much a qualifier. And, look, people get around it anyway. If they don't want a phone number, they'll put in 000. You know, you get all those junk numbers people put in because they just want to fill it in. However, the key takeaway from this, be thoughtful about what you gate, what you ask for, and what you do with it. If you ask for the data, at least use it.
0: All right, Craig, uh, HubSpot Marketing Feature of the Week and looking forward to using forms in conversations. Did you see this where they were talking about this is coming So I think they're just rolling it out in new portals.
1: But you know you can have a support form and you've got conversations. Yes. Well, it kind of makes sense that if someone fills out a support form, it goes it's into a, a big conversation. conversation. Currently, they have uh, team inboxes. So yes. you could have, let's say you've got support at, mydomain.com. That email goes in. That's a conversation. What about if you had a form there? Anyway, that's coming. And really the point of what I'd like to see, and I think this is where it's headed, is look, any form. Surely you can wire up any form to an inbox uh, conversation. That's what I'd like.
0: Yes. Anyway, that's the feature coming soon. I like it. Looking forward to it. All right. Our HubSpot sales feature of the week, Craig, is using workflows to allocate contact owners. So you can use workflows to allocate contacts to having a contact owner.
1: Yeah. So we've discussed this before. I mean, this itself is not a particularly new feature. However, it is underutilized. But there's yes. a few nuances we're going we're gonna to pull out.
0: Correct. And this is more to also do with the lead rotation within a workflow. So I think what's interesting is that we found in the portal, we have sales professional users, but at the... High level, let's let's say the team above the super team, you can't actually assign that team to the lead rotation.
1: Yeah. So what they're saying is, in workflows, you can allocate a contact owner to a contact, and you can choose any of your users. Okay. Yeah. Yep. That's going to be. But if you want to rotate it so that it HubSpot automatically or randomly rotates it between the team, you're like oh, okay. So when I was looking at this, their announcement about that they've um, made it easier for people to be allocated, even if they're not paid. I'm looking at rotation. I'm going, oh, so according to what I'm reading them saying, you can't rotate between people unless they are all pro users. But that doesn't seem to be the case in the portals where we're testing. And it seems to be the case when people have set up parent-child teams. So I don't know if this is a bug or there's like a little loophole here, but it seems if you use child teams... And you, people them. you can definitely rotate between them and they don't have to be paid users. So I'm a bit confused. I don't know if this is just a loophole or a bug or I've misunderstood the way I've <laughs> written the article. But in any case, it's great because now you can just allocate between anyone on the team. They don't have to be a paid user. True. I wonder how long that'll last. <laughs> Let's see. We've got two screenshots there of different ways you can allocate people as well.
0: Yes, and we've spoken in previous episodes about the lead rotation, about balancing that out amongst the sales team. And I think you're right. It is an underutilized feature within HubSpot. Yeah, and I think the reason we wanted to call this out and why we mentioned
1: at the top of the show is using workflows in sales because often you would chat with people about, oh, are you using workflows? Oh, yeah, we're doing that on the marketing side. We've got email notches. Oh, okay, cool. And so what about on the sales side? Oh, yeah, we've got sequences set up oh, okay, what about using workflows for deals and just general contact maintenance and things like that? People don't think of it. They think that workflows are just a marketing function. And I guess this is just a very simple example of where you can incorporate it in a sales process.
0: All right, onto our marketing gotcha of the week, Craig. And this is not appreciating the number of touches in a customer's journey. And this is a bit of content on Think with Google. It's actually really well done there's a piece of content above this interactive content, but basically shows you from the data that they have that the customer journey is not linear, kind of fluctuates based on what people are doing and who they are. And if you drill down into it, you can actually interactively go through a journey of a particular type of customer. There's Wendy who's 68. She had 120 plus touch points. On her her journey to purchase a car. Purchase a car. And you had one on the other side who was 25 who had 600 plus touch points in six days. And then we had Justin who took 24 days and had 110 plus touch 24 points. 24 days, go the extra. That's right. So you know what this highlights to you? Like the different parts people are taking and how they're going about it. And it really gives a good understanding of how... People even looking for a similar product, how different their journeys are. And they do this across automotive, electronics, food and beverage, personal care, retail and travel. So it's really fascinating. So I'd encourage you to have a look at it. But what is some of the key stuff that we highlight in there, Craig? Yeah, well, I thought they did a good job of visualizing
1: this funnel moments where they're basically saying wide peak, narrow peak. And this idea that that number of touches increases when they're researching. And then when they're at a particular purchase inflection, it's really narrow and come down to very specific touches that they're after. I thought it was really, I'd never really seen it put like that before. I thought that was a good
0: insight. I really like the purchase junction. (laughs) Purchase (laughs) junction, yes. The point at which a user makes a purchase, but then continues searching. Continues on searching. I don't know if
1: they're buying other cars, but certainly we know in other areas, once they buy, that actually opens them up to buying a lot of other things, depending on the industry, of course, and whether it's a repeat purchase market. But yes, that's it. Get them in a purchase and then immediately advertise to them again or immediately
0: try and touch them again to get multiple subsequent purchases. I think that's really interesting. I would think that this happened to me before when I've been buying some things online. I bought something and literally within 10 minutes of buying a, a couple of products on this one site, I got an email back saying, well, you can buy more and it's free shipping. I'm like, oh, hang on, I just paid for shipping, but now I can buy more stuff and just not pay any more shipping. So incentivize people, uh, incentivize me to I had more stuff that I'd already paid. Yeah, well, there's limited
1: offers, but there's also accessorizing, is the normal upsell. So, one of the old school, everyone would know this, but uh, one of the things they teach you in retail, of course, is when you go in, if someone's shopping for clothes, is the perfect example. Uh, you're going, oh, I want a suit and a shirt and a belt and socks and that. They never start with, oh, well, let's find the belt for you, sir. It's always, okay, start with the most expensive item, suit, because once they get over that um, purchase hurdle, oh my goodness, how much? Okay, great. Then a belt seems like a bargain. And as a percentage wise, that's what we do psychologically. We go, oh, it's not that much because we consider it relative to the purchase we've just made. Well, in the online space, this is, of course, the same, depending on, you know, could actually be closed for all we know. but. In those places, accessorising, and think about in your business where accessorising might be, because it might be a big consulting piece followed up with some little mm. one-off audits or whatever it is. Yes, whatever it is you're selling, but yeah, it's all around understanding those moments, and that purchase inflection point is a key one. Okay, onto our marketing tip of the week, Craig. You know, in Facebook, you can go to a Facebook company page and you can see what they're advertising on? Yes. I think most people, most marketing managers will know that. Oh, yeah, I want to see what this brand's advertising on. Yes. I'll just go to their Facebook page and look. Have you ever wondered, oh, well, how do I see that on Instagram? Is there a way to see? Well, it turns out there is. It's got to be in the app, though. And we've got a few screenshots. In fact, I'll show you what HubSpot's advertising on Instagram at the moment. But it's pretty easy. In the app, you just go in, you go to their profile, go up the top, right, Click those three dots, and you're looking for an entry that says about this account. Have a look at that, and then you can see their active ads. So we've got a few screenshots there. We can see nice range of ads that um, HubSpot's um, advertising.
0: So now, Craig, when, when I saw this in the show notes, I thought, oh, I'm going to go t- test this out on a few accounts that we were looking at. And I'm like, hang on, I can't see that. I'm like, why is that? Anyway, it doesn't appear for all accounts because it seems to depend on the number of followers you have on your account. So just be aware of that if you think, oh, I'm just going to check this out. What are these guys talking about? It's because of the number of followers. Have a look at a few accounts you follow and see what ads they're actually running. Some of them actually might have the about this account, but you might actually not see any active ads running. So just be aware of that too. But a great thing to work out what is going on and what people are advertising on. All right, Craig, on our insight of the week. And it's talking about the inefficiency of the web. And this is from SEO book. Google recapture breaking websites, lowering conversion rates, costing businesses real revenue on e-commerce websites. So, were you ever a reader of SEO book, Aaron yes. Wall? I grew up on Aaron Wall.
1: Oh, uh, did you? Yeah, I just thought he was fantastic. So, listeners may not know this, but I used to be an SEO consultant. That's a dirty word these days, isn't <laughs> it? But yeah, I, I was um, did a lot of SEO probably a decade ago now. But Aaron Wall was the man. He was the legend of SEO. And so, I was a member of his... Community for many years. He wow. was fantastic. Yeah, he's gone a bit quiet in the last couple of years. And you know, Traffic Think Tank with Matt Barbie and, yes. and that. I almost think of uh, TTT as the new SEO book. It's kind yeah, of right. um, it's the same kind of community vibe, experts in there, okay. and things like that. But anyway, I digress. He does put out the occasional post on SEO book. And by the way, do you notice it's not even HTTPS? I don't know if he's doing that on purpose. <laughs> he's got no SSL on his site. I don't know what's going on. It's just weird. Anyway, that's an aside. In this post, he's talking about AMP, which is uh, accelerated mobile pages, Google's little baby. And he's highlighting it as an example of inefficiency on the web. We didn't need AMP. We didn't need that. We had We've got the HTML standard, which is perfectly fine. Of course, all these people come along and load massive payloads of ad scripts and all kinds of things onto it. Uh, But then Google says, oh, no, we're going to take that perfectly valid standard and we're going to strip it back and then we're going to put all our own kind of packaging around it and then force you to use it. And so his post is quite a critical one of Google, as many of his posts are, just about the way they're kind of abusing their position of power and taking standards and just – I guess, corrupting them for their own good. Yes. And so I think this is a very good post to read, but it just reminds me of inefficiency in so many things. So the takeaway from this and why I wanted to chat about it in the show is because as marketers, just be careful when you find yourself doing things inefficiently to overcome other things that shouldn't have even been there in the in first place. In the first place, place. Yeah. So I'll give you – this is my favourite example. You know, Twitter yes. has a limited – to the number of characters. Okay, it's increased lately, but it's still quite small. Yes. So you've got these small tweets. And so if you wanted to put a URL in, you couldn't because it was too long. So people created URL shorteners so you could shorten the URL to put it into Twitter, right? And it's like Twitter created a problem and someone else has created a solution to this problem, like... It shouldn't have been a problem in the first place. It's just so inefficient. Twitter just should have said, oh, it's a URL. I'll allow that, right? It's like they've created this false problem that needed a solution to fix this problem. So that's inefficiency in the web. Yes. You don't have to think too hard before you start seeing this everywhere. All these tools that people put together to solve problems that shouldn't be problems in the first place. AMP is one of them. There's all these others. Yeah. You know, recapture. Yes. So that puts a pixel on sites. One of the things he said in this blog post... Is that Bing Ads used to use Recapture as a confirmation thing to log in? So what it meant was Bing Ads and all these Bing properties, Microsoft properties had a Google recapture pixel on all their sites, just capturing all this information. It's like <laughs> people don't realize you put recapture on your site, and of course HubSpot has it in there on blog posts, you yes. recapture. Thank you, that's a Google Pixel in there tracking. People wonder how they get tracked everywhere. Yeah. This is it, all these little pixels okay. for problems. Look, I know I'm going on a rant here. Recapture, right? So they've got these things so that bots can't (laughs) overcome them. It's like they're putting all this money into AI to create bots that will be able to do the things so people don't have to do them. And then they put a recapture in place to supposedly stop so it's only real people. So you've got, like, this problem to solve.
0: The self-perpetuating problem. Yeah, it's like
1: I'll create a thing that only bots can't solve to stop bots going in, but we'll create AI that's so smart that it can overcome these. It's just... (laughs) This is the what I call the inefficiency of the web. Anyway, you, we could, I could go on all night with all these kinds of things. The takeaway, be thoughtful about your marketing stack and your marketing reports and your marketing activities. Oh, look, I could get started on marketing reports. How many reports do you see people creating that are answering a question no one is asking? That's right. And then as a result of that report, someone else is going, oh, I need this, do we need it? Oh, yeah, what do we need that for? I don't know, but let's do another report to find out. It's just... This Insanity goes on. Should I stop there? I think I've said enough. Yes, you should. All right. On to our retirement of the week, Craig. Oh, you know what's retired from the Google search results? Organic
0: results. That's what's retired. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you know what? You'd be hard pressed to find some organic results these days with, with more than half the page being paid, local, maps, product. It's any wonder.
1: Yeah. People also ask... Yeah, knowledge base, yeah.
0: All right, Craig, resource of the week. Nice one here from Tim Sillow
1: at Ahrefs. I just put this on Twitter and just it's very simple. This is not some groundbreaking thing. It's just got his list of terms around, purchase, uh, around intent. So, you know, when people search for stuff on Google, there's kind of different intent, purchase mm. intent, or transaction intent, it's often referred to. But there's navigational intent, there's educational, there's entertainment intent. Anyway, he's got just a list of some of these terms. So... Well, have a look at that. What's what's some of the informational intent terms that you'd find?
0: Yeah, I think that's interesting. I mean, when, if I'm reading this right, if you type in what or something. Yeah, any any
1: queries that have like questions. Yeah. What? Who? What? How? Where?
0: Yeah, and then it says on the transactional, it's coupon. What does that mean?
1: If people just were to search for things, yeah. it's just showing their intent. So if they've got buy red shoes or coupon for the iconic yes. or things like that, it's probably showing that that's a transactional intent. They're looking to purchase, uh, right. order, how to order, yes, store lookups, those kind of things.
0: It's basically everything across that line is not related to each other.
1: Oh, no, no, <laughs> sorry. There's four columns. Like there's informational terms, navigational investigative ones and then transactional yes. purchase. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I get it. So yes. whenever they absolutely. Put, buy or
0: Yeah, absolutely. So price. that's <laughs> I mean, you know one thing that I've actually seen and I was reading a Google report is that a lot of people actually typing in the near me. Yes.
1: Which they don't phrase, need to. Which
0: they don't need to. Mm. And how especially when you're talking about search locally. So I think over sixty percent of search for a product ends up actually where people get are looking to walk into a store and purchase the product. So they're often wanting it soon. So I'll go through a perfect example. I was going for a presentation the other day. I figured, oh, last time I went for the presentation, I couldn't connect my computer up to the projector. I needed an HDMI. And I'm thinking, oh, hang on, which one am I going to get? So I actually went through this process. I went onto the web. I was searching, okay, well, A, what's the best connector? And then... Once I realized what was good, I then went, okay, well, where can I get it, right? I need to be in the vicinity of either on my travel to my destination or within the vicinity of the office. What was interesting, on a store that I thought was um, nearby that would potentially have it, didn't have it, and I had to kind of travel a little bit further away. But I was thinking, why is that the case? And maybe it did have it, but it wasn't showing up on the search results. Anyway, I couldn't take the chance. so I went to the one I knew that would have stock, and that's what I did. So I kind of just thought about the whole process I've gone through and I thought, oh, this is really interesting. My need was pretty immediate. It really didn't come down to price. It was more about convenience and distance that drove my activity. That's an excellent example of the buyer's journey in a particular scenario. That's exactly right. That's right. And uh, if I had needed that, oh, I thought about this a bit earlier, I would have probably ordered it off Amazon and sure. got deliver it delivered to my house. Yeah, so that wasn't,
1: oh, comparison shopping. That was urgency shopping. Yeah. Correct. So there you go. All
0: right. You got a cracker quote of the week, Craig. What does it mean to be the head
1: of marketing? Good post from Seth on this. And we've got two little quotes where he's pulled out. I couldn't choose them. The best one. But actually, it's not just a quote of the week. It's like it is, article of the week. Exactly. It's talking about the head of marketing. And the, the, his idea, I'll, I'll capture his nutshell of, uh, of his idea is, what, what's the head of marketing? Like, what do they do? He basically says, here's the killer quote. To be the head of marketing, you need the freedom and responsibility to change the way things work, not simply how they're talked about and the idea being it's not just about brand and messaging it's actually about changing things that's what my and his book is on all about marketing it's about change making okay. a change in people but he actually said the reason that the tenure of a CMO would be company average is about 18 months is that it takes about a year and a half for the boss to realize that the pain free risk free easy miracles aren't <laughs> arriving on schedule <laughs> they hire the head of marketing, but the, the boss doesn't want to actually give up the strategic you know, yes. uh, oversight. The head of marketing just becomes an operational person <coughs> and they
0: realise, oh, no, it's not for me. And you know what? True in the marketing sense, but I think this can be across the board. Even in sales, same thing. you know. What are the behaviours you're driving that is driving change? I only say that because I was in a meeting the other day and what was really interesting, they could see – the way people are buying and the way younger people are interacting with people in sales has changed. But when they said, oh, well, what about if we give that to Bob? No, no, he's not going to do that. He's not going to use a CRM. And they're like, we're not going to include him in on this. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. So there are people that they've identified that are not going to change and then there are people that are going to change and they were basically going to split it and carry on. And I thought, oh, this is really interesting.
1: Wow. So, Bob's getting put over in special <laughs> projects <laughs> ready for the, the next redundancy round.
0: So, you know what? This is a really interesting thing. It doesn't just span marketing. It's sales. It's even, yeah. you know, anything we do, even even us as technical people or agency owners, we we have to choose to change and make a difference. So... Definitely worth thinking about how we go about that. Now, Craig, you've got a bonus link of the week, which is a tool. What is this tool?
1: Uh, This is a Facebook advertising management tool. So I just wanted to check out to investigate. Kind of a note to self. I was checking it out today, but couldn't dive into it. Excellent. If anyone does try it out, please let us know. Yes. Uh, By the way, if there are any tool vendors out there, that would like us to have a play with their tool and perhaps even um, review it on the show. and Just get in contact, send us a few details. Obviously, if it's marketing related, uh, even sales related. related, even sales that's, related. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's right. That'd be great.
0: Well, everyone, we hope you enjoyed this show. Please leave us a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this. Could be on Spotify. We would love you to leave us a review. Just a star review is fine. And if you do, take a screenshot and send it to us and we'll send you something. What will we send them? Something. Maybe some socks, Craig. (laughs) Anyway, we will reward you with something that is of value. So please do that. Send it to us. Direct message us on Instagram and let us know. Well, Craig, until next time. Catch you later, Ian. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hub Shots. For show notes, resources, HubSpot news, including practical strategies you can implement, visit us at hubshots.com.